Hi, I'm Ariel. And I'm Twinning. And you're listening to Breaking Through the Podcast. Welcome back to Breaking Through the Podcast. Today's guest is one of the most innovative artists in music right now. Not only is she an incredibly talented singer, she's also an amazing songwriter and producer. She's toured all over the world, played major festivals, had chart-topping hits, performed on national television, won several awards. The list goes on and on. We're so excited for you to learn more about this amazing woman. Please welcome Lynn Gunn, lead singer of the band Paris. Well, if you don't mind, I really wanted to start like all the way at the beginning because the band was originally a metalcore band named Operation Guillotine. Am I correct? Yeah. And, and then you eventually switched to Paris so I just wanted to hear, like, how did the band start? And, and like, for you personally, you know, how did you even get into music? What were your influences? Were your, was, like, anyone in your family in music? It's so weird. So my, my parents don't do anything musical whatsoever. My dad would, like, sing in the kitchen 24-7, and I grew up with him just singing all the time, but he would sing the same, like, three songs and still does to this day. Like every time I go home, he'll be he'll be doing the dishes, singing the same song. That's so cute. But it's really interesting. It's so cute. I'm like, how how are you real? Um, but yeah, neither of my parents are musical. My brother was. I kind of just copied everything that he did. Like when he was playing sports, if he was trying a new hobby. I would always just be like, I'm gonna do that too, and I'd just sneakily follow him. And if he like wasn't home from school yet, or like was out with friends, I'd kind of sneak into his room and like use his stuff and be like, I'm going to play his guitar today. <laughs> and, um, we eventually were kind of like, oh, you can play too. So we both like started jamming up in his room when I was in like middle school, probably. He had a drum set, he had a guitar with an amp. And then that was really all we needed. And we just kind of were just like jamming as kids after school and on the weekends. And um we just fought so much and there's like the natural sibling separation where you're like, go away. You're not cool. <laughs> but it was like, it was more on his end. Cause I was like, I I'm cool. I can keep up. It's cool. You can talk about weird. You can talk about boobies around me. It's cool. <laughs> like whatever it was. <laughs> um, but so eventually we got, we, we got to high school. He was a senior and I was a freshman. Um, and he started playing in bands with his friends at that point, And they would come over after school and just kind of take over his room. And I would always be like, can I come in and play? And they'd be like, nope, it's the boys. So as I was just, at that point, I like got my own guitar and kind of just stayed in my room and kept to myself and occasionally would join them. But um, yeah, we got to, into like high school marching band, um, orchestra, jazz band, show choir, every musical program after school, he and I attended and did together. We just had a lot of the same friends eventually and a group of those friends started like making bands and stuff and just playing super heavy music. And for me, I was like, okay, well, this is all there really is. There's nothing else. Like I, I don't know what other band I could join or who would, who I'd get along with, especially at our high school. There wasn't a lot of that just wasn't happening. 
Um, so that's just kind of like naturally what I fell into. And then eventually everybody kind of started playing shows. There's like a venue up in New Hampshire right near us that was all metal shows, punk shows, hardcore shows. And the venue actually ended up being busted for like a drug front years later. And we were like, we always knew it was sketchy. (laughs) But like we would go there every weekend in high school and just go to, go to shows or we'd play shows. And, um, yeah, it, it, we started when I was in my old band. I don't count them as the same band because it was all different people, but it like, it's, it stemmed into Paris eventually. Um, but we would, we started like practicing in my friend Alex's basement in, in the freezing winter, like no heat down there, just playing the basement. And then we eventually went to one of my other friend's houses and his parents had like a nice finished basement with a carpet and they, and, and their parents were super into music and super artsy and just total stoner, awesome party parents that were like, you can party here, just be safe. And <laughs> that was like what my high school was for the most part was just every day after school, we'd go over and we'd, we'd jam and hang out and my friend's mom would do tarot for us and amazing it was always this um really cozy every day after school jamming kind of thing and then we would like play shows on the weekend here and there and it was always such a big deal if we got a new show and that was the very early stages of that and it was so much fun sounds like you had such a great childhood yeah and you talk about basements nobody i know has a basement it's so funny in england hardly anybody has a basement is it it's more like addicts there right yeah definitely i feel like addicts i feel like addicts would not be the best place to make music it would just like permeate the entire house like shake yeah. the house you know <laughs> yeah or just somebody falls through the roof or through the attic and into the kitchen yeah that'd be me i'm always afraid of that kind of stuff for that, some reason. that would be me too clumsy for my own good so at 19 years old you first signed your record deal with Rise and Velocity. And like, how did that all come about? Oh my gosh, that was such a funny, weird thing. So we were actually initially planning to sign to a different label. Um, and they they like wined, dined, and signed us as one of the dudes there said. He was like really sketchy and kind of, we were all just like, do we trust this? This is, are, are we sure about this? We were about to sign to this label and the day that we were supposed to sign our contracts, um, there was a show in Massachusetts that we were all going to. And our old manager used to be in a punk band. So he kind of knew everybody in like the rocks, alternative rock scene, warp tour scene. And um, he was like at his at um, one of his friend's buses the night before. And he was catching up and he was like, How, how's Paris doing? Like, what's up with them? And um our old manager is like, oh, yeah, they're about to sign with so-and-so. I'm not going to say who it is just in case. But they're like about to sign with so-and-so. And they're going on this tour as soon as they sign, blah, blah, blah. And um, his friend was like, do not sign to this label. I signed to them a long time ago. They fucked us over. Just don't do it. Don't do it. Like, give me. He was like, give me 24 hours or something. It was like within like two days or something. He was like, give me a, t- a tiny bit of time. I'm going to call up the people at Rise and try and get them a better deal. And he totally came through and was like, we have a better team for them. This is the right move. And then we we just got the offer in from um, Rise and Velocity. And they totally 
were the best fit for us at that time, for sure. And we're super encouraging and supportive of the vision and like just got it. And it was it was a great fit. Yeah. How how did you feel, though, in that like 24 hour period? Were you just like, uh, no, this is what I waited for, because I came into the music industry quite a lot later. Like I've been doing music all my life, but like professionally came into it a bit later. But you were just like 19. You were such a baby. Like, yeah, you know, it's funny how fate comes around. If that if you hadn't had that conversation, it could have gone a very different way. But when you got that phone call, were you just like, oh, you just like, oh, no, I don't trust this guy. We'll give them 24 hours. It was um, I th- it was weird because I think. There is no, there didn't need to be this sense of urgency because we were like 19, 18 and 19. Um, But I think there is such like a pressure around being successful young that we were like, no, we got to get the best deal as soon as we can and like just start touring and going for it. Um, And now I'm like, guys, there is no rush. We really didn't need to sign to either, honestly. But um, yeah, I think there was a little bit of a moment of is this right should we wait are we are we if this if this thing doesn't come through are we going to lose this opportunity with the other label and um but now i'm just like there's always something else that's going to come up and that will be better or more in alignment with where you need to be cuz yeah it just wasn't it wasn't supposed to be from the get-go and thank god you had a bit of patience because i feel like that's where most people make their mistake there is a rush and there is a pressure to be successful now let's take your oh it's a record deal it means the world whereas now we live in a very different music industry and you know yeah independent artists are doing far better without a label so it's just funny the moments how they can really make a difference totally it's so funny there there really was so much pressure around it at that age and now it was kind of right on the cusp i think of things becoming a lot more um accessible and easier to do diy and we we're still right at the cusp where it's like no you need a label you need this you need this team you need this and now it's like oh we we actually probably didn't but it's good that we did <laughs> did you celebrate that moment we didn't oh my god every like moment that should have been celebrated where we've signed something or won something it's it's always it was always really spur of the moment had to get it done like sign it on this app and just like get it sent over i think i, for, I think i signed i signed the contract i don't even remember i think it was just at my mom's house and we all had to like fly the next day or something it wasn't anything really crazy the the first contract we signed and celebrated was with warner about a year ago um and we all had like a airbnb upstate and we're like we're signing it we're doing it <laughs> but everything everything else has been super just on the go we need to get this signed right now and all of us will be in separate places or yeah there wasn't really a celebration moment that i remember with the with the rise contract at least I mean, I think because we all came up in a different industry than what exists right now. Like we did have a lot of pressure. I remember, I can't even count the amount of times I was told like, you better start now because after a certain age, you're going to be irrelevant. And it's like, that doesn't exist now. But it did exist when we when we all got into music. So it kind of makes sense that you're like just 
moving forward into the next because the record deal is like, okay, great, now what? Yeah. And that I think that's why we wanted to do this podcast because it's like, well, now we can celebrate those moments. Yeah. But before we um, move like forward in time, I do want to go back in time a teeny bit and just ask like, how did you transition out of metalcore? What brought you to the sound you have now? Or, 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 or at least the sound that you had when you signed your first deal because it's been an evolution throughout all the records. For sure. I mean, before we, before I was in like Operation Guillotine and <laughs> in that time of my life, I was really into, I listened to like a lot of soundtracks and I listened to um, a lot of pop and just really was into everything. And I really gravitated to just really catchy, really like rhythmic music and I never could pin what it was and I don't know I always always just gravitated and wanted to make music that I would want to listen to or music that I'd want to be hearing and I think we'd started in in like heavier music just again because that was really all there was to play shows with and that was the only sense of um like a, a local scene or community that we could really fit in with. So there's just like a pressure to adhere to that and to be making that music. Cause it was funny if there was like a show and it was, they had a lot of like touring acts come through this one venue that we'd play at. And if, if it was like a lighter band or there wasn't screaming, I remember kids would always be like, Oh, this is for pussies. Or they'd just say like, <laughs> they would just like talk so much shit. If it was, either electronic or catchy and I was always just kind of low-key just like when I really like this this is so cool like what's <laughs> what's wrong with it and there was definitely like a lot of internal battle with how c- can we play music that's lighter and poppier and more electronic and um will we get shunned from this tiny little bubble that we were existing in and um eventually there's this band called Versa Merge that I used to be obsessed with. And it ended up being, they ended up recording our our first two albums. One of the the members, this guy Blake, um, became like really great friends. He's like family for life and such a wonderful human. And I think once once we kind of started working with him and just kind of seeing that that was okay to be making the music that we wanted to be making he like he instilled like so much confidence and certainty of of follow your taste make what you want to make everything else will open up from there just don't compromise what you want to be doing and what you feel compelled to be making in order to fit in because their band was kind of like that um within the same scene they were like combined like a more pop rock with orchestral elements and electronics and I always really loved their band because of that. And I was always like, I love how they they combine those things together and just really are down to mess with it and push the envelope and create their own little bubble within this already existing bubble. And so working with him and working with him on the first album was definitely the biggest moment of, okay, we can really go for it and um, just do what we want to do. That's a big breakthrough in itself. I mean, and it paid off because your single, St. Patrick, it remained on the top 20 at the Caring Rock charts for over 15 weeks. I mean, that resonated. <laughs> that means that it like resonated, you know? Yeah. At the time, were you aware of the performance of the song and like how well no. it was doing? 
We didn't, I don't think we even knew what Kerrang was. That's wild. Yeah. So amazing though that that achievement, you're just like oblivious. Most, honestly, most achievements I've, I've, didn't know were happening or found out way later or something would happen and we'd have something else down the line that was a higher stress or focus and I'd be like okay cool now we have to get to this thing and like never really got to celebrate those things as much because everything was just moving really quickly that's crazy 15 weeks did you say over 15 weeks, actually. Over 15 weeks. Well, that's amazing. So you've had all this success up to now. And then, you know, you book the Walked Tour. And for the listeners who don't know what that is, it's a huge deal to book this tour. Like an absolute game changer. And a lot of American rock bands have had their big breaks from this. Like, what Yeah, even pop that? artists. Yeah, well, what, um, what was that feeling like? You know, when you got the call. It was cool. I'd only actually attended it, I think, once or twice when I was a teenager. Um, And we we kind of, when we played it, it was kind of right at the tail end of before it had ended. I think a lot of it has, like, kind of shifted and and definitely changed. It was so much fun. It was like a giant summer camp and definitely band boot camp or, or like, performance boot camp because you'll wake up at like eight in the morning and you'll find out at around nine or 10 if you're playing at 11. So every morning we'd wake up, you'd be in like a scorching hot parking lot, needing to like go to the bathroom, needing to find water and then be like, you have a set in two hours. So warm up. Don't look like a piece of shit. Um, (laughs) Like, like get your voice together and have all your gear loaded onto this stage. When we played it, we were actually um, we were supposed to play like a smaller stage, and then we kept getting bumped up to one of the main stages the whole summer. And like it was happening, it happened probably like I want to say for the first two or three weeks of it, they would every once in a while we'd we'd play on the stage we were supposed to, but for the most part, every morning they'd be like main stage today so load your gear over here and our whole crew had to be like hauling ass over to like the other (laughs) stages and like it was um but that was it was such a crazy big moment that I I always kind of forget about and try and just like I don't know I always forgot that that was it was such a big moment like it was a, a really big moment of oh whoa this is something that's happening and it's working and people are gravitating to it and it was it was really cool. How amazing that you didn't know when you were on. So unusual. Like I I don't know of any festivals in England like that, but it was an outdoor festival that went from city to city, correct? Yeah, so it basically would go from like I want to say end of June to end of August and it's just like two and a half, three months of every day you're in a new parking lot or like amusement park side parking lot whatever um type of place that it was located and yeah it would just be you'd wake up every day find out what your set time was sometimes your set would be at 11 a.m sometimes it would be at like 6 p.m and you just have to kind of wake up and anticipate anything that's wild that's it's so it's so funny and hectic and then you'd get like signing times as well everybody would do um 
different signings at, at different tents and stuff. And so you'd like at the beginning of the day, just kind of get your schedule and be like, all right, this is completely different from the other day. And you have to just be like super flexible and go with the flow, which is really important to learn. Yeah, amazing. I mean, did any bands take you under their wing? Like any bands that were headlining most of the tour? Was there anyone that kind of shifted the experience for you? Definitely, yeah. It was, um, again, our, our old man, one of our old managers was um, came up in the scene and kind of just knew everybody and um, knew all of like the softies and good people, good guys that would like look out for us. And so he would, he kind of, it was like when you go to high school with an older sibling and you're walking through the halls with your sibling and people are like, oh, okay, you're so-and-so's sibling or so-and-so's friend. So you're cool. It's all right. Um, but yeah, we definitely like kind of everybody really took us under their wing for the most part. Um, even like one of the the main production managers, this woman, Lisa Brownlee, was like a big champion for us. And she's just a total legend, total badass and then she ended up being one of our like our main tour managers for the last few years and has been a longtime friend since. And then I had another friend, Bo, who's in this band called Bless the Fall, and he took me under his wing for sure. And we had our own little bike gang and we would we would bike every day once we'd like finish playing our set and would get our schedules. He would just hit me up and be like, do you want to go bike to Starbucks or do you want to go bike to Walmart or whatever was Aww. like there so was, wasn't ever really much around around the area. It would always just be like a Starbucks or a Target or something. Something just like that. But we would always just be like, let's go bike to it. And I don't know. It was fun. And we, we eventually like started growing our bike gang throughout the summer. And it was really cute. I was going to say, did you celebrate that moment? But it just sounds like the whole summer was a bit of a celebration. Like, I wish I was on that. Yeah. No, it's it was definitely um, equal, extremely stressful and kind of crazy. I'm I'm really hard on myself with performing and I definitely would get really in my head and really anxious about that a lot of the time. So I feel like I could have celebrated a lot more than I did like there was so many times where it was like probably could have stayed up and partied and hung out with my friends but I would just be like I need to go to bed and rest my voice and um would just be like a little goody two-shoes for most of it I I like celebrate with little grandma things for the most part I don't know I I'm such a nerd I love journaling I love to drink tea and coffee love to have little I love to have like little movie nights and um, yeah, I definitely found I found I gravitated to like the cozy people on Warp Tour for sure. People that kind of wanted to do the same thing. They're like, let's be low key and do this on the bus or go um, find a park somewhere or something. So very cute. Very, very cute. Me and Ariel would fit in quite well with your grandma. I know, seriously. <laughs> grandma vibe. We love tea. But I will say that, Twinny, you've definitely kept me cooler, like, over the years, though, because I'll, like, want to be a homebody and to, like, <laughs> get up, get dressed. We're going to this thing. And I'm just like, but, but. I draw the line at knitting. <laughs> it's always a good combo to have a more kind of, like, homebody introverted friend and then extroverted friend because you guys can help balance each other out fairly well. For sure. For sure. And also, also... I feel like Twinny is just as good at like hanging at home and yeah. doing the thing. Like 
And I eventually warm up at an event and I'm just like, okay, this is fun. Yeah. So it works you out. You are a little social butterfly. <laughs> Only when I know people. Like if I don't know anyone, my like game plan is to find a really nice stool that's like situated properly in the room and like, <laughs> just like let people come to me. I get yeah. a snack. Oh my God. Always the snacks. Always. I'm always more interested in food than yeah. drink anyway. I'd much rather eat. Same, same. <laughs> So, okay, Warp Tour happens. You have all this amazing stuff before Warp Tour, and then you start getting nominated for awards. Yeah. Because you got, you actually won the Kerrang Award for Best International Newcomer in 2015. Mm-hmm. Same year, you won the Alternative Press Music Award for Breakthrough Band. Was it even on your radar at that point? Because there was so much momentum in the career. Was that something you actually were able to stop and take in? Honestly, no. It's it sounds it sounds so sad, but all of these milestone moments were um, so rushed and just yeah they they it was always what if it was like an award thing or if it was playing a big show at a specific venue is always just super hectic and super chaotic and we'd always we'd already have something we'd already have things booked like three to four months out that were like even crazier that we'd be like, oh shit, we have to get ready for that. And yeah, we didn't really get to celebrate that kind of stuff. Well, now you can. That's exciting. Yeah. Now I'm like, oh yeah, we did do cool shit. (laughs) (laughs) You did. Congratulations. Yeah, seriously. Congratulations. It's it's amazing to be acknowledged on that level. And that same year, like 2014, 2015, you started supporting a lot of bigger acts on tour was there um a specific tour that felt like a breakthrough um i think i think when we got the follow-up boy tour in awol nation that was a big one i remember we were already out on a fairly big tour um with this with this band bring me the horizon who's also such a great band and just really has shifted their sound over the years and been like triumphing and just dominating and completely went from point A to point B and are still killing it more like than ever. And so that that in itself, I think, was already an amazing tour because they're, they're definitely like an expander for me as far as how you can kind of move through and shift your sound and still stay authentic and still maintain like a really loyal fan base that was already a really great tour and then when we were out with them we got the offer for the follow-up boy tour and we were all just like holy shit yeah (laughs) so it's such an incredible opportunity it's amazing like huge congrats like to be with them people you know that you're on the right track and you're doing something right totally 2016 and you get your first network tv debut on late night with jimmy kimmel yeah I'm from Britain and I even know what that show is. We have like Graham Norton here and uh, Jonathan Ross show. And to yeah. me, they're like things that as an artist, you you want to get on because millions of people are watching. So you get that totally. first headline tour, first time. I, and I always struggle with this word. Lapalooza. Lapa, oh, Lollapalooza. Yes. Lollapalooza. Yeah. <laughs> and then you also won the Boston Music Awards Artist of the Year. I mean, wow. Like, please tell me you celebrated them moments. We didn't. Oh. <laughs> we didn't. Well, I'm just going to celebrate for you. Yeah. Um, one day, I think when I'm probably like 60, I'm going to have a huge party to celebrate everything. Um, we're going to have a celebration this year. 
Okay, we could. Well, yeah, once yeah. it's like safe to celebrate, we can do that. Yes, yes. But yeah, no, I remember it was funny. The Boston Music Awards, I remember there was. <sighs> we were like sat up in a in like a balcony area and they had like all these areas blocked off for different people and somebody came up and was just sitting next to us and was being really sketchy and made me feel really uncomfortable and was like I go to the cemetery that you go to I I love it it's great we should hang out there sometimes you should be friends and and they were like take my number you can trust me blah 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 and I was like no, no like it's not it's like a really weird uncomfortable thing there I I got up to go to the bathroom and was like I'm gonna go to the bathroom really quick sorry like I need to do this because I'm I cannot be mean every once in a while I'll have a moment where I'm like get the fuck out of here but I have a really hard time setting boundaries and being like please leave me alone this is making me uncomfortable I was just like no I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the bathroom and they followed me into the bathroom <gasps> and we're like looking under the stalls so that was oh my that was God. like a whole situation the entire night that we were there um so that kind of made that celebration like not as celebratory but it's a great story but equally like people were recognizing who you were at this point obviously so yeah you've got real yeah. fans coming up to you and that in itself like handling that I'm sure that how did you handle that situation obviously you said you're not mean but I bet there's been even more situations since then it's it's like a whole new ball game isn't it being yeah. having to interact with people and a balance because you are human as well totally um, and you have your moments but a whole new world interacting with fans for sure. I mean, for honestly, for the most part, I'd say 95% of our fans are incredibly chill, amazing, just like college students that if you bump into them, it's usually at a coffee shop or it's always coffee shops. I don't know why, but it'll just be like, it'll be like <laughs> a coffee shop or something or in a cool thrift store or something. And somebody will just be like, love your music bye and then they just like everybody's really chill um every once in a while there will be like a situation like i just explained but for the most part like our fans are so chill they're so funny they're so cozy and down to befriend each other within the fan base and it's i don't know it's really amazing they're incredible what about jimmy kimmel like oh yeah sorry we were talking about jimmy kimmel. yeah i want to know what like what the lead up was like and were you able to relax at all beforehand or was it more of a celebration after? Oh, man. It was – it's so sad going through these because I really was so stressed out for all of this. Like our, all of our, our really early moments in our career that were like really big milestones, I was just so nervous and so self-critical and just wasn't – just couldn't be good enough for myself and didn't feel like I was – didn't feel like I was up to par with with those moments. I was like, this is really cool that we're getting this award or we're getting to play on the show. And um, but internally, I was just like, I don't feel like I have my shit together enough. I don't feel like up to the standard that it should be to be on this level. And so a lot of it was just kind of self-defeat for a lot of it, which is I feel so sad saying and not to be a bummer, but Jimmy Kimmel was kind of like that. I remember we had we had gotten it and everyone was like, this is such a big deal. And I was like, I'm not ready to do this. Like, 
You have to sound you have to sound flawless on live television for it to even sound or for it to even kind of translate to sounding good once it goes through the TV and all of the compression. And um, and I was like, I'm not that kind of singer right now. If you go to one of our shows, it'll sound great. But I think through a TV, it's going to it's like not going to translate. It got really in my head about that. And um yeah, and I remember when it when it was airing, like all my friends were texting me and we had went out to like a diner to celebrate just like a bunch of people. And I was just like, <sighs> I was like so sad. And I remember we'd stayed up and everybody was like watching it in the hotel because it aired later in, in L.A. And I remember just being so just like afraid to hear it that I just fell asleep and didn't watch it. And I still haven't seen it to this day. Oh, no, you yeah. should. What? We have to have a viewing party. Just like a couple close friends, you know, just to celebrate it. Because I've never, ever talked to anybody in the music industry who doesn't reflect the exact same sentiment. Like, you're not alone. It is so hard. You're you're constantly in motion. You're sleep deprived all the time because everything that's lined up. You don't see an... You know, I think the idea of like taking time off doesn't exist for somebody, especially coming up in the industry when you're like, the momentum is happening. I can't stop the momentum. And so when you combine all of that into these big moments, of course, of course you were nervous. Of course you weren't able to fully be like, F yeah, like this is amazing because you had a lot on your mind and something that I think isn't talked about enough. And so I'm just going to celebrate you right now. You are such a driving force of the sound of Paris, all the visuals, the creative background of the band, writing the music, like a lot of the weight is on you. So of course, these moments are... Yeah, totally. Yeah, I appreciate you you saying that. And also, I think also people never... Be- People hear your music differently, are always going to hear your music differently yeah. the way that you do. Like, it, you're always going to be more, much more critical of your voice, how it sounds, where to a normal audience member, they're just going to be like, she sounds absolutely amazing. But I totally get that. I think we all can appreciate that. And I, I always just worry, like, I don't know, with with every every element of Paris, like Ariel was saying, like, I've always been really hands-on to the production, to the lighting, to like just everything within it. So my brain also, along with like worrying about singing and performing well, I I never actually got to focus on that. I would always be on like, all right, is is that being played correctly? Is this arrangement cool? Is this lighting cool? Would always be focused on those and performing and doing that was always honestly the last thing I got to like nurture and pay attention to. It's actually pretty crazy. It is. It's wild. I mean, and then so in the midst of like all this, you had to be writing your second record because you released it 2017. Yep. Right? Yeah. And so was it when you released the second record, did it feel different than when you released the first one? Was it, you know, what was similar and what was different for you? Yeah. And it was... um. When we put our first album out, we were on tour and we were on a, on a really great opening tour and it was we were still really fresh and there wasn't really any expectation other than just like we want to hear the album, we don't care what it is, just put it out. <laughs> and I think with the second album there's definitely like 
because the first had done so well there was such um i think there's just like high hopes around it and i mean i was super stoked on it i loved it we had really big plans for it and then so many things just started going wrong like it got put that one got pushed back i think three months from when it was supposed to come out and at that point our rise had been bought out by bmg and like we had a whole new team working for us that really weren't super understanding of what was happening it was a lot of growing pains for the second album and i remember i still remember just being so stoked for it to come out though but there is a lot of stuff that i think while writing it and working on it came up from the first few years of touring and from the first record that was like a lot of a lot of baggage and a lot of deep emotional stuff to kind of just dig through and work through. And I still felt like I was really working through a lot of it and trying to like make peace with it. And then it was like, bam, second album ready to go. And I was like, I'm still not okay though. I'm still like, <laughs> feel really confused and lost. And I yeah. had like, I had so many vocal problems on that tour, like for that whole cycle actually. And was like basically trying to relearn how to sing in the middle of a touring cycle. And it was, it was pretty crazy. There's so much weird shit that happened on the second album cycle, but it was so much fun at the same time. So yeah, it was like a party. It was a really great, like, aside from the performance and the, I think, inner workings of dealing with a new team and just the kind of growing pains that come with that. Aside from that, it was so much fun and love it. Always will will have good memories with it. Uh, speaking of the new team, you signed a new record deal with Rupert. Prize and Warner. Did you get the same feeling as the first time you signed your record deal? How was it different? Did you get the same rush or? This one was so different. This one was like, initially we're going to stay on BMG, but we just weren't stoked on it. Everybody that was on our team prior had left and everybody was kind of just asleep and like, ah, Paris just threw us on the shelf. And so we were like, can we leave? Can we get out of here? So we like, kindly asked to leave and they let us go and so there was just like a whole um new chapter that was ready to unfold and at this point we used to have three managers we let two of our managers go and one of the the main um main manager that has stuck and is still with with us today is like been such a champion and so like just wanting to push things further and push things further and really see the biggest picture possible. And this this next chapter, before we'd signed anywhere and before we even were like working on the album, he and I just kind of put our heads together a lot. And we both lived in Brooklyn at the same time. And, and we're, we're just like constantly meeting up and just brainstorming and writing mood boards and and lists of goals that we wanted to accomplish in the next chapter and just really we're like dreaming super big and he and I were super have been super on the same page about it all for a long long time and are and still are and so this this next wave was like all right we're not settling for less we're gonna we're gonna sign to the label we want we're gonna get the right team that we want we're gonna work with the the right producers we're going to work with the right songwriters and really just elevate it so a good like i want to say good year year and a half was just spent 
he just went crazy and just would find anybody that he could contact that would link us up with like this producer or this person. And we went and talked to so many different A&Rs at different labels and really just tried to feel out the best team as as possible as far as creative collaborators, but also just as far as where to sign with the label. So we took our time with it and we're really picky and didn't want to rush it. And so this one was like definitely a nice celebration of we're stepping into a new chapter and getting the right right team behind it. And um, so this one was definitely like more of a celebration and felt felt a lot more aligned with, I think, where where I've wanted things to be and, and where he's wanted things to be. And um, so, yeah, it was much more of a celebration. Like I said, we got like an Airbnb up in upstate New York and all had like a big fun family dinner and went crazy and blasted music around the house and signed the contracts and we're like we did it like I love that that's amazing it was really cute because we never got to do that and yeah my manager Nate's just super he he loves celebrating and and taking the time to to have those moments where you like have a nice dinner or you have a nice drink or you do treat yourself to this and you you like give yourself that moment to sit in it and like appreciate it. So he was like, we're doing this when you sign your contract. We're doing this. We're going to go have this moment. There's nothing you can do about it. (laughs) Go, Nate, go. That's amazing. I'm really, really pleased that you celebrated that moment second time around, a little bit older, you know, made the right decision. We just like, this is cool. And I like your manager for really wanting to celebrate that. You should do. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Because that's a memory that you'll always have. Yeah, definitely. Totally. And I think that the difference is that you got, you had, actually, I'll say, you were given the space to find the team that felt right for you. Yeah. Rather than what you, you know, which was totally valid because in the beginning of your career, you really felt that pressure yeah. to rush towards it. And so it is, it, there's something to be said about taking the time to knowing exactly what you need. And it really showed because, I mean, the first single, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's the first single off the new record, use me, was Death of Me. And it debuted number one on the rock charts. Yeah. Did you know it did? Did you know that it did? No, I didn't know. <laughs> I mean, that's so insane. I'm learning so much from this. <laughs> How does it feel finding out that it debuted number one? That's pretty damn cool. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty tough. <laughs> to me, it's so it's so fascinating when you talk about you being stressed all the time because we've only met today, virtually met. Yeah. You seem so chill, so peaceful, so zen. Uh, is, that, is this the version of you now? Were you, are you a lot different to what you were back then? So, I mean, I think the the right components have always been there. And it's there's just a better, like, management of those things now. And I, I always have been really ambitious and always really been super hands-on and into this and into that and have had this trait and this trait but I think so much of that could get got really muddy with just like anxiety and being super eager to please and not really not really looking out for myself ever and um the last like you said like the last year having this space to really 
kind of fine tune that and fine tune the people around me and making sure making sure just everything is being nurtured not only myself but the people around me and yeah I don't know also moving to LA was such a big thing that I didn't think would be such a big thing but has been amazing for just kind of calming down and and like settling into myself I think yeah this is a much a much chiller version and I think hopefully can stay this chill from here on next time we speak to you you'll be doing grandma things like knitting like she's super super chill <laughs> hey I knit I know that's why <laughs> I said still it still neurotic as hell I'm just kidding <laughs> so congratulations huge congratulations because you've just released your third album use me as Ariel said I was uh digging in and uh found out that you were meant to go on the Halsey tour but due to COVID got respond um i mean when you got that call to say you were going on that tour was that just like how did that feel and how does it feel to have an album out in this this weird crazy time that we're in yeah that tour was really funny because i don't know like again like like i mentioned um my manager nate and i spent so much time in the last like year and a half just brainstorming and making lists and just kind of making like vision I don't know we do like vision boards and are constantly updating it and just shifting it and and making sure that we keep just keep looking forward and, and not looking back and not settling into what or just not settling into anything just always wanting to evolve it and grow it and she was one of the top artists that we we like wrote artists that we'd love to tour with, artists we'd love to feature with, just like a huge list of different little categories and aspects. And Halsey was a big like, I think probably at the top of who we would love to tour with. And I remember getting the call during, I was like finishing up the album on one of the last legs of my trip. We, we were like kind of in a dark period of working on the album. We had a, a different A&R at the time and he was kind of just being a Debbie Downer and not really, he didn't want any of the songs on the album to get released and was just, I don't know, I felt really defeated and was just kind of questioning a lot of things and being like, are we supposed to do this? Am I supposed to be making music? Are we, like, what is the next chapter going to look like? Are we stupid for thinking that we can do this or thinking that we can tour with so-and-so or thinking that we can accomplish A, B, C, or D. And I remember, like, there was a really heavy day the day before, and I was just like, man. And then the next day we got got a call from, from, uh, or I got a call from Nate, and he was like, I have the greatest news for you ever. (laughs) And he was like, Halsey wants to take you out on tour, and... We didn't have to do anything for that to happen because usually like with with touring, how it normally works is your agent will submit you once they find out a tour is coming out. We've naturally honestly gotten all of our really big tours just from them hitting us up. And like we have never had to do it. Every single one of those was always a wait, what is this a prank? Like (laughs) and that the Halsey one was definitely the biggest one. We were just kind of like, 
wait, really? She it's not the wrong band. She she had the right <laughs> number, like are we sure? Oh. <laughs> but no, she's she's like we met her a long time ago. We played like an acoustic set in at a college right before she blew up and She's always been really sweet and really great to us and and been a champion for our band. So I, I also wasn't surprised. I was like, okay, this makes sense that we would she would ask us to come out. But it was kind of just this thank the universe moment. I mean, that's also your energy and your work that you put out yeah. there. The thing that listening to you today, when I mapped together all the moments that you've had, you had this really amazing self-trust even through the stress or the fear, you know, and 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 a purity and belief in what you were actually doing like yeah. creatively. I'm I'm really excited because I also recently found out that you're a producer. <laughs> and I think the world needs to celebrate and see more female producers. Agreed. And so I can't wait to see, you know, that side of you start to come out as well, I'm sure you produced a lot of these records that you put out too, but but I'm I can't wait to see your name with those producer credits more and more. Thanks. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah, I got a couple on this this last album. I mean, you know how it is. It's so hard to get the same respect and get the same acknowledgement. And I totally have so much so much learning to do, but. And constantly working at it and constantly trying to grow and learn at it. And it was, yeah, it felt great to have, I think there's like two or three songs where I have production credit. And I was like, finally, fucking thank you. Because yeah. <laughs> every, every single song, if it's, if it's not started in like, I would say, I would see e- each record we've, we've had out so far, it's been, me starting something on Logic and starting a track and coming in with like a fully fleshed out thing and being like, let's just finish it. I want you to polish it and make it not sound like a 24-year-old person who doesn't know what they're doing made this. Right. (laughs) And like... But really, it is production. I mean, I think that's one of the most frustrating things in the industry is that you can get it 85, 90% there and then someone else takes it all the way home and it's like, and then they get all the credit. And I feel like it happens to more female artists than male artists, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's changing. I really, I personally feel like in the next five years, there's going to be a huge change in the music industry in terms of credit. Yeah, I hope so. This is not to say that JT, who I worked with, is in, incredible. Like he was such a huge, huge part of, of this album and... Um, did produce majority of it and like a lot of a lot of it was just but it's it's interesting like where where you draw the line of like asking for credit because technically you could be asking for like executive production if you're overseeing everything and and like really kind of calling the shots with it which is I I didn't feel I would still wouldn't feel comfortable asking for executive producer because I I still am like I don't know am I but JT was really amazing with being able to just understand what I wanted and and like respect that and always would be like anything I wanted to try and anything I wanted to change would always be super open for and was just a great, really supportive person on that end. So I think there needs to be more people like him and more just like and again, just the the way that you ask for credit or how that how credit is given, I think needs to definitely change over time i think it will too yeah especially on the writer's side 
Yeah. Oh my God. The writers, <laughs> you know how it is. Like you're, you're in songwriting. I remember when, when we first, um, when we first put our, our first album out and second album out, you have to, obviously you have to do production credits and songwriting credits professionally and like legit every single time. I remember there was a moment where kids were like looking at the the credits and saw like written by Blake Carnage and Lindsay Gunnelson and Blake was such a like again such an angel amazing to work with and like great teammate and we did fully like collaborate and write together there's no there's no like no I wrote everything and he just produced it, it was like no we worked together and we we worked yeah. really well together and that's like fully what it was but I remember some kids at one point saw that and they were like so he wrote everything and like they have a ghostwriter and there's like a rumor that we had a ghostwriter and all this weird shit. Oh, I think especially people that just aren't in the industry and don't know how it works. People will naturally see that and then extra assume like, oh, they didn't do anything. This guy wrote it for them. And it was like, no, you like go in a room, you catch a vibe, you work together and you craft out magic together. And that's like how it yeah. works. And like that's the purest form of of like songwriting collaboration and like nobody sees that side of it. They just see like what's written there and don't really know yeah. further. I, yeah, I always look at like the really big pop songs and I'm like, I wonder what, what the first like source of what that was yeah. and how that magic felt. I mean, and that's the thing is like it is magic. It all comes together. That's why I, I always say like, yes, that they do deserve a piece of the cookie. Yeah. You know, when we talk about credit, we're not talking about devaluing the person's no, not at you know, all. thumbprint on on the song because I would never write any of these great songs I've written without the producers I've worked with. Totally, their, totally. Cre- their creation is what inspired it. And I especially love the producers that also write. They also yeah. write melody and lyric and it's like and so it is complicated when you tell when you tell like people outside the industry what to look for when they're looking up credits it's like well it's complicated because some of those producers really are writing as well so it's 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 a very messy world that we're working in but yeah i do i do hope we iron out the credit in some way so that there's a better understanding of a person's role in the song definitely definitely yeah yeah. Okay, so we talked about all these incredible things that have happened along the way. If you could go back to one of the breakthrough moments and relive it, mm-hmm. is there a particular one that you'd want to do that with? Ooh. Honestly, I hate that this is such a cheesy cliche. I wouldn't change it. That I mean, I don't think that's cheesy. I think that's totally fair. Yeah, I wouldn't change it. A lot of it was really weird and stressful and like honestly kind of dark as a as a young as a young little lady <laughs> like trying to understand what the fuck was going on. Um but it really I I wouldn't I wouldn't be here without that and without like I wouldn't also be in this a really great place now and in a really healthy headspace and um relationship with it if I didn't have that side of it and like I I wouldn't have a way to gauge oh you're feeling really good right now and this is you're in a really good place I wouldn't know yeah unless I went through that so now it's 
it is funny. Like we were, we were talking about the other day, it's really funny to look back on it now and be like, oh, wait, it really was still so special, even if it felt really terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Thank you for being such an amazing guest and for allowing me and Ariel to relive these breakthrough moments with you. It's been truly inspiring and, and so interesting. My closing question to you is, what do you want your next breakthrough moment to be? Ooh, that's a great question. Well, first off, thank you for having me. Um, next breakthrough moment. I think super general breakthrough moment. If we're forgetting that we're in a pandemic and the world is like really dark and scary and completely not um, what it used to be, I think if we forgot about that for a moment, it was like, what do you want? I would love to, I don't know. I This is stupid. I don't want to like make milestones the only intention, but it would be really cool to have a, like a VMA performance or Grammys or something yeah, um, in that oh, yeah. vein. I would love to, in the next chapter, like accomplish something like that or attend that or something. But I don't know. In a more general sense i just really want to i just i just want to have this be something sustainable and something that i can keep doing for however many years into the future and um branch out into other creative outlets as well yeah i just want to feel free to create anything well, we celebrate you, Aww. and we're so happy that we had you I'm on the so show. I'm so happy that I got to be on it with you guys. I know. Thank, thank you, you so much. Of course. Thank you, guys. Stay up to date on all things Lynn and Paris by following them on Instagram at thisisparis, T-H-I-S-I-S-P-V-R-I-S. And give us a follow at breaking through underscore the podcast on Instagram. And we're also on TikTok as breaking through podcast. We hope today's episode sparked a memory of your own to celebrate. It's really easy to forget how far you've come. So try and remember everything you've already achieved. What have you achieved this week, Ariel? Uh, Well, I've edited a lot of podcast episodes. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you had to edit quite a lot of profanity out, didn't you, this week? You know, it's not like the best, (laughs) not the worst. (laughs) What about you? What have you achieved? Um, well, I don't really know, actually. Um, I, I, I haven't pissed anyone off this week. <laughs> Not that good. I know of, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I could have done, but I'm just unaware of it. So maybe I haven't achieved anything this week. No, um, I mean, you you definitely recorded a lot of videos. No, I've worked a bit this week. I did a, a, a few videos this week. Yeah, that are going to come out soon. Spoiler alert. Spoiler <laughs> anyway enough enough of us babbling we will see you next week guys have a great week